Hello and welcome to the Trainer Tools podcast. I'm John Tomlinson. In this episode, I'm speaking to Sunita Semi about cultural diversity in the training room. What can go wrong, what can go right, and top tips of things that we can do to make sure that it does go well. I'm here with Sunita Semi. Hi, Sunita. How are you? I'm fine, thanks, John. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I can hear the birds tweeting in the background there, so it must be a lovely sunny day where you are. It's uh, beautiful in sunny Switzerland. It's lovely. And what are you going to talk to us today about? Um, Today I'd like to talk about culture and the awareness that the trainer needs to have of culture in the training room. Okay, so if you've got a diverse group of students or something like that, how you would approach that, the cultural diversity... Yes, exactly. And just, just really becoming more more aware, more mindful of the cultures in the room um, is, is, is something that I think is very, very imperative. It's vital to a, a trainer and vital to the group dynamics as well. And you do quite a lot of training in different cultural uh, environments. Yes, I do. I do, some, I do a lot of leadership coaching, group coaching, we, uh, where people are from diverse uh, environments and also uh, cross-cultural coaching. And the culture manifests itself in different ways, the way we communicate, the way we approach uh, things in in the room, as well as issues outside the room. And I I have the feeling that we're not always aware of the importance of culture. So how are you going to structure this, Cast? Um, I thought today what we could do is start off with uh, eight points. Uh, The first one being be aware of our own cultural profile. And then we could look at definitions of cultural diversity. And the third point could be how we handle this in the training room, uh, how it can manifest itself and what does it look like. And then the fifth point would be case studies. And the sixth could be role play and the importance of role play in in, uh, culture management. And the seventh is talking about being hostage to culture. And I'd like to leave you with my top tips on how to manage uh, cultural diversity in a training room. Well, that sounds quite, quite good, quite thorough. So we're going, to, we're going to start with looking at our own cultural profile, then looking at what is diversity, how we handle it in the training room, um, how it actually manifests itself, what it looks like, case studies you said next. Yes. Things in relation to role playing. Don't be a hostage to culture. I'm not quite sure what that one is, so I'm looking forward to that one. And then ending on your eight top tips. Mm, exactly. Perfect. I wrote that down, as you can tell. <laughs> I didn't remember all of that. Don't spoil the fun. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, so let's start with your top one, which is be aware of the cultural, your own cultural profile. Yes, I think I think this is quite important. Um, as I said, when you know, when we're as trainers, we really need to be aware of what which cultures influence us and which cultures affect our behaviour and affect our communication. Becoming aware of your own cultural profile for me is the first step in learning about other people's culture. If I take myself, for example, I'm. Uh, I'm Indian, I was born in London, and I'm a Swiss national. And so all three cultures affect how I come across uh, to people. And I also need to be aware of that and, and, and put that on the table and also accept then the other people in the room and make them be more aware of their culture as well. So it's been aware of our own cultural profile, like you said then, being an Indian woman. Did you say you're an Indian woman or did you say you're a British woman? It's interesting, isn't it? I remember you saying Indian woman. Did I remember correctly? You, you did. That's right. 
Right, okay. So you describe yourself as an Indian woman who grew up in Britain. Yes. In London, in particular. Absolutely. Um, which, being a northerner myself, I know is, is a culturally distinct from being a Londoner. Absolutely. And then now Swiss. Mm. And how that affects you, the, the assumptions you make, the way you see the world, your perspective, and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. So it, it's a really interesting point to actually start about handling diversity in the training room by starting with yourself. I mean, now you said it, it's so obvious, but I didn't actually think of that when, you, when, you initially, when we initially talked about this idea. I think you have to, you know, before you, you start the process is, 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 like I said, become more aware of your own culture, but also as well, become aware and, and also educate yourself about the other people's culture in the room. Find out about their culture as well, where they're from, where they grew up, where they're educated. If it's possible, find out as much information before and during the program at the start. Right. Okay. So a much have a general deep depth of awareness about culture and the cultures in the room absolutely absolutely I'm, I'm i'm slightly concerned about that and i don't know if you get onto this later because mm. i'm wondering if that would lead us to be making assumptions we shouldn't be making about other people's cultures because we can't know them in great depth and at the end of the day culture is of course hugely important but everyone's an individual and everyone's also a, a product of the corporate culture and all other other there's lots of moving parts absolutely i mean there's there's so many cultures in the room they're not just the you know, our cultural identity, where we're from, our nationality, their corporate cultures, like you said, national culture, uh, the the local culture. That what I don't the the objective of digging deep and being open and asking questions is to be curious. And I think it's showing an interest. My 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 question and my in my uh, questions to my participants is really interest and also respect that I acknowledge where you're from. And I, 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 I am interested in where you're from. I, I don't think it could be disrespectful. I think it actually is respectful. So it's not the moment to be starting to challenge people's cultures? No. You don't put your Christopher Hitchens hat on? No, exactly. <laughs> that moment? Not yet. <laughs> no, okay. Okay, well, that's a really interesting place to start, actually thinking about your own culture, but then also, as you said, expanding it to understand the other cultures in the room in that kind of respectful but curious mm, way. Mm. You, you said the next thing, the next part of this was talking about actually what is cultural diversity? Yes, I think what here really is that, first of all, we'd accept that everybody has their own definitions of cultural diversity. Everybody has their own opinion and their own views. And for me, what I try and do is create a communal contract in the beginning that we're going to work in in one way and we're going in the sense that we accept that everybody's got different cultures. For example, I've had situations where I've had uh, Saudi men in my group and they found it very, very difficult to have conflict management discussions with hierarchy in in the in the room or for example some women have found it difficult some asian women have found it difficult so in that context i make sure that everybody is following the rules that we have made in that group so this would be specifically when there is a culturally diverse group yes i mean i'm talking about my context john because i only work because of where, where i work and who i am i just i i seem to attract uh, always a very culturally diverse group and you would do that at the start of any training or facilitation type workshop because i mean obviously there's the time investment here i suppose it's the basis of my question if you were just doing a, a two-hour workshop would you consider doing this or is it just for something that's multiple days if it's just for one day i would mention it i would or i would find out 
And if something came up, for example, if somebody was having problems with a role play or they were having problems with just communicating a message, I would perhaps I would address the culture issue. With regards to a week-long course, yes, of course, then I would spend longer. I could spend 20 minutes setting that up, the group contract, and getting people to just be aware. But very often what I found is that people in the group bring up culture. It's actually not me. Oh, wow, that's interesting. I know, and very often what I found is at the end of the uh, the, the coaching or the training, for example, if I, if I think back to last year when I was doing a leadership training course, at the end of the week, two or three of the participants actually said what they liked the most was the fact that we touched on the multicultural part, because this is a huge part of leadership there. Yeah, absolutely. And it is something that people tend to pussyfoot around, isn't it? Yes, this is the this, As a yeah. fear of being appearing racist or not wanting to, you know, get into murky areas that seems to be all risk and no reward. Absolutely. Yes. So um, when you're doing this um, contract, what are the kind of things that you might expect to see? Well, we what I always say is please talk respectfully to each other. We that that's respect is number one. Clear communication, honest communication, um, take into consideration that people don't have the same values, the same norms. What I try and do is create a culture for that day or that week in the group. So we have a group of people with collective meaning, shared codes and norms. That's what I'm trying to do. And you can do that through a group contract and not just mention culture. And you bring in your own cultural profile into that kind of conversation? I always do, yes. Um, I, I think it's really important to talk about my own cultural profile especially because I'm not I don't I'm not monocultural I'm, I'm not what they call a hybrid and hybrids are very very difficult to gauge and very difficult is that what is that what you're called a hybrid that's what they're called the hybrids yeah are that's you what, yes right, okay so um and and very often people are especially in leadership you're finding that people are leaders are communicating with other leaders or other senior management and they are also hybrids and this this can become quite complex so when you say it could, could become quite complex can you give an example of what you mean by that do you mean complex in the training room or complex in the in the workplace complex which is something the that they want to discuss okay so that's something that they're bringing to the training room absolutely yeah Absolutely. So this is a cha- one of the leadership challenges that they often bring into the training room is how can I build rapport with my team or how can I develop a, relation- a good working relationship with this person I can't seem to, to get through. And uh, very often it's just, yeah, it's, 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 it is culture. I might be overcomplicating this, so please do tell me if I am. No. But is there a situation where, like, for example, if you say we all must respect each other and we all kind of buy into that and agree to that, but we have a different idea about what that means. And maybe if you make eye contact with me, that's disrespectful. Or if you challenge me in a particular way, that could be perceived as disrespectful. But it's not for, you know, there isn't necessarily agreement around the word respectful behaviour is what I'm trying to say. No, you're right. But I think this is where it has to be very clear when you do the group contract that, for example, uh, we are going to challenge each other. We are going to, we want honest feedback. This is a group contract. So everybody agrees to the contract and agrees to that way of working. So if respect is written on the group contract, we would discuss what does respect mean? And everybody has to be okay. And I actually check, I ask a concept question at the end, is everyone okay with this group contract? And then we proceed. And very 99.9% of the time that everybody is okay with it before we go on. It's one of those things that until you actually do it enough times, 
and get the confidence with using that kind of um, that kind of tool. Mm. And then you then you see that actually it's not as sensitive an area as perhaps you might fear it is. Mm. But that's a really good point because you see, in a way, when we talk later on, we're going to talk about being, not being a hostage to culture. But if we become a hostage or we become fearful of mentioning culture uh, in the training room, that's not positive either, is it? No, it isn't. I agree with you. And also, but also, you can make a mistake by being too too direct or too too insensitive. Yes. My approach when I'm delivering training, I tend to be quite direct and play up my northern Englishness and my sarcasm and things like that because it, it tends to work in the cultures that I'm delivering in. But I mm. would be slightly more sensitive if I was going into a very different environment. I would have to turn that down and be a lot more careful with it. I think what I try and do, what I've learned, if, if, if I can share with you, is to become acultural in a way and, okay. and, and almost you know, it, because it's not about me, it's about them. And I find that really works. So I have, I really have make no assumptions. For me, nothing is evident. I'm just open to what, how, and what, and observing them and seeing how the dynamics is in the group. So by acultural, you don't mean that you lose your own culture, or um, do you? Yes, I do. I don't focus on my culture. I focus on their culture. So that's about what is cultural diversity. I think the next thing that you said was, how can we actually handle it in the training room? So this is a much more kind of practical, what do we actually do? Yes, I mean, um, for example, in the training room, when I've, when I've done the week-long trainings, I, I said I've, I've put, the, put the issue on the table. I have had situations where I've had people from, I said, Saudi Arabia and then people from Europe. And if we're having lunch, for example, so there's alcohol and I, I'm very clear would they mind if they have if some people have alcohol in front of the the Saudi Saudi guy and that's one of the things that's on the table it's very important I see for me that's a cultural faux pas if I don't bring that and bring that up right so it's about being very explicit and very well as you said just putting it on the table being very clear about the fact that here's alcohol with people that have a different cultural approach to alcohol and one of the things as well is that is is to use the resources. The participants are really have such huge cultural sources within them. And I'll give you another. I'll give you an example. I had one American guy who had a, a very very difficult challenge with somebody who worked for him from I think he was from a Turkish background. And of course, the American guy was was very direct in his communication, very straightforward, and he couldn't understand why he couldn't get the message through to the Turkish uh, person. And in the room, there was uh, somebody from Turkey and he was able to explain the mindset. And then there was somebody else who worked in the Turkish market. So use, if you read up before, also, this can also help with the, with the, in the room if you need allowing allowing the participants to help each other that's a really good point isn't it because if you've done that bit at the beginning where you've put it on the table and you've had that respectful but curious discussion you've done the the contract thing it makes it a lot easier then to to use the resources in the room because it's much more of an open conversation about it yes absolutely and you know you're setting things up in a way how you want people to behave so you are the ambassador for this for the for the training for the for the week so by being curious putting things on the table then people follow suit they feel safe enough to follow follow suit which is which is what we want the other thing is i i do is ask questions because what i find sometimes is that people uh say oh well i can't do that in my culture we can't do that so this is where i i i i challenge them and say okay why can't you do this in your culture? 
And sometimes, actually, it's got nothing to do with culture. They just don't feel comfortable about doing, uh, about having the conversation. But if you don't ask questions, you, you'll never find that out. So it's it's always good to find to 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 ask questions and to find out more and dig deep. And also encourage the participants to ask questions as well. And again, if you're doing that from that point of view of being curious, but being quite sensitive about it, being respectful, following mm. the rules on the chart, mm. the charter, then that does allow you to do that. Exactly, exactly. That's the, you know that was the, the the fourth point: be curious, but be sensitive, and and be sensitive, and be be mindful. I think that you know I, I I'm I'm very very aware that perhaps somebody me being Indian giving feedback to somebody is different to a white male giving feedback and asking questions about cultural sensitivity. So it is, I think it's in the way, it's not who's asking, it's in the way it's asked. And the, and the way we ask questions and are curious is extremely important. Can you give me an example of what you mean by that? I think sometimes you have to be very respectful, very, very, very empathetic, really get to, this is when I was talking about being acultural, I, I, I lose myself in the group and I really try to ask a question to get them to think from their cultural perspective. So if I'm talking to somebody, uh, I had a Kuwaiti woman in my group and she had done extremely well in her career and had a very, very encouraging and empowering husband, but was working for somebody who was extremely tough with her. She was, I, I was asking her, why was she not able to push back? And initially she said, oh, culturally she can't do that. But actually, as we dug deeper, it was because for other reasons. So it's asking those questions. But I was, I was very careful with my questioning. I think questions shouldn't be too direct, depending on who you're speaking to. So when you're talking about how we handle it in the training room, you, you said, first of all, about the importance of putting it on the table, which comes back to that being very honest and very open, just, just being very clear about the fact that there are cultural issues or cultural differences in the room. Mm. And then you made the point about using the resources, which I liked a lot. The fact that you have got, if you have got that cultural diversity in the room, which is what we're talking about, then that is a, a strength as much as it is a challenge. Mm. And then you said about asking questions. And lastly, being curious but sensitive, mm. which really runs through the whole thing, doesn't it? That be curious but sensitive is, is running through the whole of this, your whole approach. Absolutely, yeah. That's it's, the... it's, really summed, it's really summed up in those three words, curious but sensitive. Yeah. So if you look at number four, how can it manifest itself and what does it look like? This is a very interesting point because I went to university here recently, did a master's in um, coaching and career management. And my thesis was about communication, language and culture. And one of the things that is definitely I see how culture manifests itself in the training room and in work life is language and communication. And as English has become the global business language, this is definitely a channel of how culture is portrayed uh, in the training room. So again, as trainers, we have to be very aware of how different cultures communicate, how different cultures uh, use language. And also, of course, people with higher proficiency in English are going to be more confident and get their message across more easily. It sounds very basic, but it's extremely important, to, again, as a trainer, to be mindful of different cultures communicate differently. Right. So you're talking partly about use of English. Yes. And how, obviously, we can come across a lot more confidently or be a lot more confident, depending on our proficiency. Yes. And also, for example, um, I've seen sometimes 
in, for example, in Indian culture, uh, I've worked in Delhi, and sometimes the some of the training I've done there, some of the communication when when people have communicated with me in the in the room, I can I can see how other people could take that badly. They could maybe misinterpret, but I know from the speaker's perspective that this is just the the way the use of language. So I think you have to be mindful of that. You have to be very mindful that people have different Englishes all over the world. And when they get together globally, they're all speaking their own English. Right, that's a really good point, isn't it? Yeah, because they could, there are different Englishes and we do, we do assume it's the same language. And of course, it's been used so differently. Yes, absolutely. And their own culture is infecting their own use of it so much. Yes, absolutely. Um, and uh, I mean, we've even, you can even see the difference how, you know, even in Anglophone countries, if you look at America and, and Britain, I mean, our communication, although we speak the same language, our communication is very different. If you look at France and Switzerland, both, you know, the Swiss-French part, both speak the same language, Where the part where I live. But the way they communicate is extremely different. Yeah, that's really interesting. And of course, the vast majority of cultural differences will manifest in communication of some sort, not necessarily verbal, but I guess mainly verbal. Mm-hmm. But that, that is where you'll see it. You'll see it in the communication most of the time. Mm. Exactly, exactly. And sometimes, you know, this is also an opportunity, perhaps, to say to people, do you realise that when you say that, that could impact the, uh, this person? And some, and most of the time, people aren't aware. They're just not even aware that their their communication could impact people. Well, especially when it's a, if it is their second language. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, where I live at the moment, where I live at the moment in Geneva, you know, people English is their third or fourth language. So you're they're operating professionally in a language they do not speak at home and they do not socialize in. And that we ha- again as trainers, we have to be mindful of that. That this is not their mother tongue and it's not their it's not their operating language. It's their professional language. So part of your role as a facilitator in the room may be challenging something if you see it, feel it's appropriate in terms of the communication. But I guess it could be a certain amount of arbitrating, if that's the right word, if there are any kind of miscommunications in the room. Yes, that's exactly it. There are sometimes misunderstandings. And for example, in Middle Eastern culture, sometimes people like to give a lot of context because it's a highly context culture. And in, uh, in British culture, people don't like to give too much context. It's much more direct and to the point. So for example, in that context, it's it's to not arbitrate so much, but to sort of get get back to the in align with our with our group values and uh, our, our 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 contract again. Right. So you might enable a communication if it's not quite working. Absolutely. But always going back to that. Yeah. Absolutely. And again, that that comes from you what you said at the very start about understanding other people's cultures in the room, having that depth of knowledge about those other cultures. Yes, absolutely. So you might get why the guy in the corner isn't understanding so and so because they're expecting a different context mm. or whatever. And I think if you see somebody who is looking puzzled or confused, ask a question. Say, is if you know? I mean, I think I think sometimes, and I've made this mistake as well, where if somebody doesn't doesn't look comfortable or is a bit puzzled I haven't gone there but actually you know and I now I mean I now I would just ask put it on the table what's you know you look confused is everything okay and if it's not okay it's 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 my job to make sure that they are okay and that they understand what's going on so that was talking about how it manifests itself in the training room and that's usually through communication communication differences 
potentially communication misunderstandings and how we need to facilitate that uh well facilitate not facilitate misunderstandings obviously um facilitate to help enable understanding so the next thing you said was on case studies yes i just thought maybe i could share a positive example uh, we had a group coaching um for a week a group coaching a team building exercise and there we were talking about conflict management with Asian cultures and Middle Eastern cultures, also candid hierarchy. And what was really interesting was when we looked at the, the this case study about how to deal with conflict, again, what was really interesting, I used the resources in the room. So I actually didn't come forward and say, you know, actually, this is a theory and this is what happens and we could do it like this. The group, through their experiences, their own professional experience, personal experiences as well of going to these countries, they actually came to, gave hints and tips and strategies on how to be sensitive and respectful with regards to conflict management in these types of cultures. Okay, so that was was an example of something that you facilitated. Yes, and it worked really well. It worked really well. Sorry, I just couldn't think of what to say after it. (laughs) Don't worry. Don't worry. So that's that's a good example of a positive case study mm. with regards to that. So what about a negative one? A negative one, I have a very a very good one, which was again me perhaps not being mindful of completely mindful, although I'm this is I'm being very, very honest in sharing here. I set up a role play with a group and the role play was between a, a boss and a, a subordinate negotiating a salary increase. And the questioning from the, from the subordinate to the boss, two cultures very different. The, what the subordinate was from Chinese culture and the boss was from American culture. And the Chinese a lady actually said, I can't do this, stop. It's, it's too intrusive. I can't, I can't actually do this. Now, looking back, I should have checked and made sure the person was comfortable beforehand and set... And really made sure and, and and set that person up and set the role play up to, to for her to know what to expect. And I think what I've realised from that is don't take anything for granted. Nothing is evident. And she did do the role play in the end, but I think it was a, it was very indicative of how culture plays in the in the in the training room. Right, that's really interesting. Yeah, because you would it is about checking the person's. Well, I think I think you said this at the beginning, isn't it? You said about nothing is evident. Mm. You, you mentioned it again then mm. about not making those assumptions of being acultural. Mm. Exactly, it is important, and you know, very often. I mean, role play is also quite. Again, in some cultures, role play is 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 part has been part of the education system. It's been part of the school system. They're very comfortable, but for in some cultures, role play is very very difficult. And it, it's well, it's fairly high risk, even yes. even in even in the kind of British culture that I tend to operate in myself most of the time. Role play is something which people don't like and don't feel comfortable with in most cases, mm. at least not initially. Mm. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. It's uh, yes, I don't know anybody who sort of jumps up and down for joy when the, when you say the word role play. No, that's right. In fact, I did a whole podcast on this um, a few po- a few weeks ago. Uh, with Larry Reynolds and it's really interesting how he talked about how how carefully you had to set it all up so you could get the most from it but not scare anybody mm. off and had, he had a very interesting sort of approach to mm. that for, for that exact reason mm. that people nobody jumps up and down at it everybody's kind of it is quite high risk people are quite fearful mm. of it and I, I that and I think I, I listened to that podcast and I thought it was very interesting and I think that's so true it really has to be set up really well and if you have 
if you have seven cultures, different cultures in the room, then you have your you have to do your homework as well before you do a role play. Yeah, otherwise it can go horribly wrong, and there's just no reason for that to happen. Exactly. Okay, so that that was um, you took us through a couple of case studies. Then there was a positive example first of all, and then there was the negative example based around the role mm. play. So you were then going to talk about not being a hostage to culture. Yes, and I and I know that you said that you were interested in this point. Primarily because I didn't understand what you were talking about. Well, the, the, <laughs> that was the okay. reason. Well, the term hostage is, is from um, Professor George Cole Reiser, who is a who is the program director of the High Potential Leadership Course at IMD, um, and I work with him. And he actually read a great book. If anybody wants to to read it, it's called Hostage, Hostage at the Table. And he actually says, "Don't become hostage to culture." I have to say that's something that. I'm also very careful and mindful of. And I think as trainers, you have to acknowledge culture, but also don't let yourself become a hostage to culture, i.e. don't feel that you can't challenge, I'm, t- I'm talking as a woman, you can't challenge uh, men in, in authority from Asian cultures or Middle Eastern cultures. And also don't let your participants be hostage to their own culture. Very often I hear in the in the training room, or in my in my in, in when I'm team building, uh, oh I, we can't do that in China. Oh I you know in Hong Kong that that's not possible. So you say yes and so what could you do? How are you going to change things? How are you going to put the fish on the table? How are we going to go forward? So sometimes we have to look at this word culture and not become limited by culture. I think that's a really interesting point. I think people very much do do that they absolutely do use the culture perhaps not consciously using it as an excuse mm. but do very much feel limited mm. by it mm. absolutely and i guess we as trainers do 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 as well even if we're not as aware of it mm. either mm. and the, the concept it, it's very interesting because before that although my books have a lot of a lot of experience in cross-cultural training and when i when he first talked about this don't become a hostage to culture and he, he you know he was very very open with me he said you know that you've just that's it's there it's part of who they are and i i have to say there has to be this balance where there's acknowledge acknowledging the person's culture understanding being empathetic but then don't become a hostage to it yeah that's a really really important point i, I now do understand it oh good <laughs> thank you for that yeah so I'm just going to, um, before we move on to the last bit, which is you running through your top mm. tips, I was just going to quickly run through the through the through what we've talked about so far, sure. just summarise where we are. So first of all, you said about um, the awareness of your own cultural profile and how that impacts what you do and how you do it. Then you talked about what cultural diversity actually is and how you would build that contract with the training group to make sure that that's all been talked about quite clearly. So then you talked about how we actually handle it in the training room, which is about putting it on the table, which is about using the resources in the room itself, asking the questions, and that thing that we said that sort of runs through the whole thing, which is be curious but sensitive. Mm. And then it was how it could manifest itself, and that was about the different communications. And in particular, there's a really interesting point about how everybody might be speaking English, but they're going to be speaking their own English, and their version of English, the how they use it, is going to be very much informed by their own cultural context. Mm. Then he gave us a couple of case studies, uh, one positive, one negative. Moved on to the bit about not being a hostage to culture. Mm. So not allowing culture to be too much of an obstacle, being willing to challenge that. Mm. Did I get that right? You Have did. I summed it up. Perfect. It's wonderful. Thank you very Great. much. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll end on your top tips. Well, these are my top tips and they might not, you know, they, they've worked for me and I'm really happy to share, but they might not work for everybody. But so far, so good for me. 
as I said, the beginning is be very aware of your own cultural programming profile. Dig deep exercise at the beginning of the training program. One of the one of the things that I do um, is ask the participants just a very few very very simple questions like for example what time they ate dinner with their parents uh, did they call their parents by their first name or did they call them by their uh, their mummy or daddy uh, did they have alcohol with their meal just some there's some very small very very short questions that I ask in the beginning that's also depending on how much time if I have a day training I wouldn't do that but if I have a week I would so are there, are there actually cultures where people call their parents by their first names? There are actually. There's a cult that uh, somebody I had in my group who was from Denmark. He calls his father by his first name. Really? Uh, yes. And uh, which I was a bit, I was, I was taken aback when he told me that. But uh, it could have been his circumstance, but he did call his. But you see, again, you ask the question, you get this feedback and then there's a discussion. That's very interesting because it's such a, it's not really disrespectful to call somebody by their first name, but yes, it seems so alien, the idea of calling your parents by their first name. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, it's very strange. Even when you talk in the third person to somebody, mm. I always say like, my mum or my dad mm. or something. Mm. That's interesting, actually, because that came up in the training room. Somebody, just to, uh, in a quick example, somebody in the training room, two Anglophone people, one Scottish, one Canadian, and the Canadian person called the lady she, and he would wouldn't use her first name, and and this was she said in Scottish culture that's very rude to call somebody she, and she said that, and she and that caused a real kerfuffle in our group once, and we had to address that, and that was for two Anglophones from not dissimilar cultures. No, no, Canadian Scottish exactly. not that different. Exactly. So that, again, this I think goes back to the the, the topic of. Of language and communication though yeah well I'm, when I was a kid there was a kid around the estate who called his parents by their first names mm. which seemed very strange at the time but then it takes all sorts doesn't it it does it does exactly you know anyway sorry I have distracted you that was tip number one which was be very aware of your own cultural programming and have that dig deep exactly session especially on the longer courses number two is be aware of all the cultures in the room so if you're if when I'm training and I'm training a company, I'm aware of the organisational culture. Um, I'm aware of their department culture. For example, if it's a private bank and they're in, either in wealth management or if they are in logistics, that's a different culture. I'm, be aware of the national culture, be aware of the local culture, as well as the individual's culture. So be aware of all the cultures in the room. Okay. That was the second one. Point three. That, that, sounds, that sounds quite complicated, actually, trying to sort of keep that all in your head at the same time. Well, that goes to number three then, because three is prepare, prepare, prepare. Know your audience, know their cultural profile beforehand, do your homework, because you can't keep that all in your head while you're there. But you, if you prepare, you'll, have, you'll, you'll, you'll be in a much better uh, footing than when you, if you don't prepare. Do you also do so, uh, so almost become quite honest about it and say, you know, there are all these cultures in the room. If I put my foot in it, sorry, please tell me. Uh, yes, I do. I do. Well, the thing is, it comes up more with questioning with me. So I, what I would do is think about my language. So I would say, uh, can I give you some feedback or could I ask you a question? I, I very rarely say I would put my foot in it uh, because, again, I'm very... I work in I work with a lot of non-natives, so putting my foot in it, they wouldn't understand. 
that that right. phrase. So um, so I'd be I would just say I'm asking a question and it's just for information. That's all. That there's nothing behind it. So interesting that I chose to use a phrase that which would be essentially culturally divisive because half the people in the room wouldn't understand it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, for example, one course that training course that I did, there was a British guy and he kept saying, "Oh, I'm afraid and uh, I don't know if I'm good enough." And and you know how and that's very typical of how Brits speak. And one of the Dutch ladies said, oh, "Do you have a self-esteem problem?" And I just thought it was so interesting. But of course he didn't. It was just the way he was, the, the words were so loaded for her because I'm afraid and perhaps I'm not good enough to do this. Or, and it was, it was just the sort of, you know, how the Brits are self, so, so self-deprecating. Uh, but it's unconscious and, it's, and it's, it's almost humorous. Absolutely. But that can obviously be very easily misinterpreted. Mm. So point number four is be curious, ask questions and encourage the participants to as well. One thing that I've really noticed is that if the trainer asks questions, if the trainer keeps a safe environment and is culturally sensitive, that the other participants, the participants in the group, they also reflect that behavior in the room. So you set you set the set the, the the mark and I think you have to really be quite create a very trusting and open atmosphere right at the beginning so people feel safe to share. Right, so you're, mo- you're being curious and asking questions, but you're also modelling that behaviour to deliberately encourage it from the group. Yes. For example, I always ask people, can I challenge you? I don't just, I don't challenge them, I ask them, can I challenge you on that point? And then I have, it, what is wonderful in my, in, for me, in my eyes, is if I'm doing a week-long training, by day three, they're saying to each other, can I actually challenge you on that? And I just think, wonderful. That that's It's respectful communication. And they again, you're modelling you're modeling that behaviour. No, that's nice, yeah. I like that. Point five is check in with the group. Don't assume anything. And I think we've all done that, not just on a cultural perspective, but I, I had a case three years ago of an Argentinian man who moved to Switzerland with his wife and he was obviously having well i say obviously he was he was finding it very difficult to adjust and i missed that i missed the whole i i i didn't realize how the impact of the cultural distinction between switzerland and argentina for him so it wasn't that obvious then well it was when if it if you missed it. it well it was i i think it's because i didn't i didn't prepare myself enough i think if i had looked at if i had prepared myself and really dug deep a little bit I would have seen that it, it you know even though he was saying oh it's no problem it's no problem of course when if, if I was doing my job correctly I should dug deeper and realize he'd only been here for a month it was very hard he gave up his job to follow his wife and Switzerland coming from Argentina and Switzerland two very very distinct cultures and he was definitely affected by that um, so I would say check check and by not assuming and asking questions, you're going to get information and data and feedback. Okay. The next point is the trainer has to be the model. We've kind of talked about that. So be respectful and be aware. And I would say the last point is is don't be a hostage to culture. There are other factors that are playing in the room which are important, but don't let the participants be a hostage to their own culture. Because very often they've heard messages as children, as young adults, that they can't do this uh, because they, 
in their culture, it's not the right thing to do. And those messages are so strong that that's still limiting them as to what they're doing now. So don't be hostage to, to don't be hostage to culture. It's more about self-limiting beliefs and limiting the, the participants' um, capabilities. Okay, well, that, I, I think they're really good tips, and obviously they're echoing a lot of the main content of this podcast. Mm. So thank you very much for that. My pleasure. Do you want to just tell everybody who you are, who you work for, and how they could get in touch if they wanted to know more? Yes, my name is Sunita Semi. Um, I have a company called Walk the Talk. I live in Geneva, and I run leadership courses. I also am an executive coach, and I do cross-cultural management, and I work in Asia, in America, and in Europe, and I just love helping people to perform better. Great. And if anybody wants to have contact details, so they can look at the Trainer Tools website which is trainer-tools.com and uh, all your details are on there That's lovely. with links, photographs. And please, if anybody wants to get in touch and they just want some materials or they want to some articles, I'm happy to share. Well, that's great. Thank you very much for that, Sunita. It's a really interesting way of looking at how we cope with diversity in the training room. So I think that's very helpful. My pleasure. Thank you so much for asking me. So that was Sunita Semi talking about cultural diversity. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found it useful. Please continue to support the podcast. Do subscribe via iTunes or whatever other system you've got. Please do try and give a review and please share the content over social media. Thanks very much and I'll see you next time when we'll be back. We'll be staying overseas. We're going to Romania next time to talk to Bogdan Vida about taking offline training and putting it online. I hope you find that interesting as well. And that will be out on the, what's this, 25th? That will be out on the 10th of September. I hope, and I say I hope because I'm traveling that day, and I suspect I'm going to have difficulty finding Wi-Fi to actually release everything. But the plan is we'll be speaking to Bogdan Vida from Romania about taking offline training online, and it will, will be released on the 10th of September. Music.